Oh, it's good. It is true that God uses imperfect people. Uh, Speaking of imperfect people, I found the uh, perfectly perfect person uh, this week in the news. Uh, Guys, if you'll throw up that first picture, if you have had a chance to get to it already. Um, There you go. Do you guys see this in the news? It's a business card uh, from a a business guy. His first name's Chen there. Just look look at his business card. Legit. This is totally, totally real deal. He's trying to buy the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. Here's what he says. He's the most influential person in China the most prominent philanthropist of China. China's moral leader, China's earthquake rescue hero, most well-known and beloved Chinese role model. (laughs) Chinese top 10, most honorable volunteer, most charismatic philanthropist in China, China's low carbon emission environmental protection top advocate, China's foremost environmental preservation demolition expert. And there's his contact information. His uh, business card created quite a buzz uh, in New York this week as he was vying for the New York Times. not going to happen. But anyway, so in, in keeping with that and in keeping with the idea of perfect and imperfect people, I thought that I'd throw this one up. You got there? Ben Hodges, world's most beloved pastor, greatest dad in America, handsomest husband in Jill's house, most generous person in Ohio, recognized as U.S. tops preacher, God's favorite Christian, and most Christ-like and humble believer. And then there's my book, Humility, Humility and How I Achieved It, there for you. Uh, this church, by the way, was built by imperfect people. We follow a perfect Lord, but everybody else is imperfect. And it really is okay. And today I want to talk with all of you who I'm assuming are like me and not like the uh, person who wants to buy the New York Times, that you are imperfect as well. And that'll be totally fine. In fact, when we talk about this core value of our church, uh, one of the challenges is whenever we talk about it and we turn the light on it and lift it up for observation and bring some heat to it, that when we talk about it, sometimes it almost creates a disconnect between the value and the people. Because it is so important, and what we're going to talk about really has the potential to change lives, and it's really close to the heart of God, and it's really close to our hearts. When you talk about something that's so important and so valuable, sometimes people feel that maybe they don't measure up. And so we showed that video in part to let you know that everybody in the Bible, with the exception of Jesus... Well, they were imperfect, and we could drill down on the specific ways that they were imperfect, but the bottom line is that God chose to use people all the way through the Bible, all the way through church history, in this church specifically, including the guy on the stage, very imperfect people, to do a pretty amazing job. Now, what I want to do this morning is take you to God's Word, three three or four places, um, and and highlight this value, but but beyond that, what I want to do is I want to, for just a moment, if you'll allow me for the next few minutes, to kind of pretend that you are sitting in a training class with me as I talk about the importance of getting into groups. One of the major ministries around here is small group ministries. In fact, it, it's one of the big three at Four Corners. At Four Corners, there are three major environments we want everybody to engage in. So the first one is, is that you would attend on a weekend worship service with other people. You'd gather with other people and worship God on the weekend. And so that's kind of the us component, the us environment. You're doing that here. We sung together, we open up our hearts to receive God's word together, and we do it together. It reminds us that we're part of a bigger family, that God has a lot of people around the world, and as many people as are in this room, there's other people just down the road from us, around our city, in our state, in our country, around the world, around the world in times past. There will be people in rooms like this in the future. We're part of something much bigger, and so we come together to do that. And then number two is we want people to serve on a team to help others grow. 
So there's the us component. There's the, looking at my perspective, there's the you component. I want to help other people grow. I want to push beyond myself. And so we think that it should be normal for everybody to find a place to serve. Now, that looks very different around here. Some people have an hour a month to give, and others have five hours a week they can give. And somewhere in that time management schedule, regularly people around here find time to give out to others to help them know and connect with God. All right? And, but the, the third big deal at Four Corners is that we want people to invest not just in others, but invest in themselves, to invest in their own growth as uh, being a part of a small group that they would take time to not just give away and not just come together as a group, but individually carve out time to invest in themselves, to recharge the batteries. And there are a lot of ways people get recharged, but we have discovered that over and over and over again, small groups, that is breaking down the big group here, getting much more personal, getting known, making friends, being a little more honest, having the ability to talk back. I don't mind if you do a little bit of that with me while I'm on the stage. It's, it's all right. I don't want you to do a lot. That gets weird, right? But you can kind of talk back a little bit. But I can't really field your questions. I mean, that, we just don't have, mechanically, it's not really all that possible. I mean, you can text me after the service or send me an email, but we can't do it in real time. But in a small group, you can engage, you can discuss, you, you have time to get much more personal. And these big three, the attend together, serve others, and invest in myself in a small group, is a very sustainable way for Christians to grow. And we think it would be normal. In fact, when we've looked at what has been healthy around here, it's when people have walked in a good balance of that. Coming together, serving others, and investing in that. You, you move any one of those too far away, and it begins to produce some disequilibrium in the life of a believer. And that's just not something that's happening here in North Cincinnati. It's been true all the way back in the Bible. Small groups were a big deal, as was the bigger group, as was picking up the mission of Jesus to serve other people. So in Acts chapter 2, the book of the Bible, that talks specifically about what the early church did, we can read the book of Acts to discover what was going on in their hearts, what they were thinking about, the challenges that they had to face, and how God used circumstances in their life, and what God was doing to give full birth to the church. Jesus began it, the disciples, the apostles, the early followers begin to walk it out, and we have a record of those first steps. And we can see what was important to them and what was important to God. And so in Acts chapter 2, here's some words about what that early group of followers of Jesus who wanted to do church in a, important, in a way that said it was important and in a way that changed people's lives. Here, here's what the Bible says about their experience. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and a few others following that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship. That is you know, getting together, hanging out, being friends with each other, brothers and sisters to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These are four disciplines that they did all the, all the time. The Bible says that all the believers were together and had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together. Every day. We, we don't quite expect that. It's a little different time. Every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As they did these four things, and I'm sure they did other things as well, as they gave themselves to hearing teaching and being open to that and having their minds alert and their hearts open to receive and to hanging out together in the messiness of fellowship and to eating together, breaking bread, celebrating communion, 
and to prayer, when they did that, everybody kind of came together. It brought unity and closeness. And they held everything in common. And the Lord kept adding to their numbers. They just kept growing. Now, that's not the only place that you see some of these disciplines and environments talked about. Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Here's one more. Look, look at this one, kind of simple and direct. Day after day, in the temple courts, that would be kind of equivalent to their church. At this point, they're all Jewish, so they go to the temple. Day after day, in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one chosen by God to redeem humanity. They never stopped doing that. And where did they do it? They did it at church or in the temple, and they did it in each other's homes all the time, regularly. It was part of the discipline that they did. <clears throat> now, Acts isn't the only place we get evidence of the importance of small groups. We get evidence of the importance of getting together out of the big group in a more personal environment where you can ask questions and know and be known on a more deep level. You see this in, the, in the Paul's letter to the Colossian church. Just in one little line there, he says this. Just kind of writing the letter, personal letter to this church, he says, Aquila and Priscilla, two friends that he has that are kind of with him, greet you, greet the church warmly in the name of the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. So, you know, before they had buildings, and people got, they just kind of did it in the house. And the environment of meeting in the house gave way to this personal connection that had a transformative impact and everybody that encountered it. That's exactly why we do small groups around here. It's exactly why a few times a year I hit the pause button and turn the spotlight on this very important value. Because small groups, unlike the large group, and even unlike serving, have the ability to charge your batteries in a way that those other two environments cannot do. They have the ability to allow you to let down your guard or hold it up a little bit if you need to as well. I, I get it. We come from different places. But it gives you at least the option to let down your guard and get known. Somebody knows your name and you have a chance to share and to listen to others and connect your hearts in a more personal way than you'll ever do in this room. As important as this room is and as much time and attention we spend on this, small groups is just different and in some ways better even though they're not in competition. So what I want to do for the next few minutes is pretend like you're sitting in a training session with me or Pastor Matt who leads small groups as we talk about what happens when people choose to lead a small group? Because small groups are powerful. Now, if you're relatively new around here, you, you may not know that this church started as a small group. Long before there was a dream for Four Corners, long before we had the idea, long before Jill and I felt the hardcore story, uh, stirrings from God specifically to start a church, we were meeting in a small group. We were a part of a relatively young church, and we didn't really know anybody, and we really enjoyed the messages, and we really enjoyed the singing, and we really loved the church's heart to serve others, but we just felt like people in a crowd, and we had been there from the beginning. And as the church grew, it just felt more and more, in, to us, impersonal. And while we were deeply committed, we didn't have quite the same connection that we had when it was just a handful of us t talking about it. And so one day there was a discussion about small groups, and we decided we would lead a small group in our home. And we didn't really know anybody, so we let the church leadership fill our small group for us. 
So people signed up, and somebody in an office somewhere said, eh, we'll stick these people with these people. I don't know if they prayed about it. I don't know. By the looks of the people who showed up in our group, I'm not sure that they did. But um, <clears throat> I'm kidding. They, they actually became our best friends in life. Uh, th- but that's at the end of the story. At the front end of the story, it just kind of felt weird, all right? And so we started meeting together. Most of the time in our home and hanging out. And we typically would bring some piece of a meal together, and we'd talk, and the kids would kind of hang out in the basement. And man, there were a lot of kids. We had four of our own, which was enough. And in part, we just wanted to start a small group to have some babysitters kind of built in. But, um, you know, everybody brings their own agendas to small groups. Anyway, there were a bunch of kids. I, I, think, I think like 11, 12 kids just in the handful of families. And so we would meet and we'd have a meal together. And then at some point, we would spend some time in prayer, looking at a book or at God's word together and just talking and getting to know each other. And lo and behold, when birthdays started happening, we discovered we wanted to hang out with each other and we'd have meals together. And special events were happening and people kept getting pregnant and we we all wanted to celebrate that stuff together. Well, Jill and I began to feel the stirring to uh, jump back into local church ministry. And so I'll never forget the, the day I sat with that group and said, we're coming to the end of our run as a small group. We had been together for a couple years. And it breaks our hearts, but we're very excited about this new thing. And all of you guys live way over here, and we live over here in Westchester, and we think we're going to do it here. And so uh, either next time or the time after that, that'll be our last, because we're going to give all of our attention here, and we still want to be friends and stuff. And so I was like, oh, you know, that's so exciting. And man, we, we hate it, and we love it, and we, we're so excited for you. And so the next week we got together, and um, one by one, and I'm not even sure how the conversation started, each person in the group said, we think we'd like to help you start that church. And we had no idea. We had no idea it was going to happen. It wasn't a master plan. I'm not that smart. It just kind of happened. And one by one, in the early days of our church, that small group was the backbone. That was a small group that got together, and the things that we did together the things that we experienced, we simply wanted other people to experience it as well. We wanted to get together and model some of the DNA of the church that we had been a part of and really highlight small groups in hopes that people could come together and begin to dream about what God could do in their lives. And as we, as we have seen small groups unfold around here, there are some things that become very clear. Here's what happens when you lead a small group. Here's what happens for the leader. Number one, you help people get from here to there. From here to there. From where they are to where God wants them to be. Now, it's not an always direct path, and there's not a one, two, three, follow these rules kinds of of, uh, listing of instructions to help you get from here to there. It's a bit messy, and you kind of navigate around things, but you do it together. When you lead a small group, you help people get from here to there. And the old joke goes, do you know the difference between here and there? Do you, do you know? The T, that's exactly right, it's just the T. But, but if you use that old joke as a jumping off point for us, the, the difference between here and there for our purposes today is transformation. That's the T. People change. In a small group that is led by a person with a heart for God, an imperfect person who doesn't always get it, doesn't necessarily know everything, doesn't feel comfortable fully praying in public, they just know that when God brings people together and people open their hearts humbly and honestly, transformation happens. 
Transformation is what we want for every person that walks through our doors at Four Corners. Everything from experiencing real love now to fully following God with their entire lives. No part of their heart left unturned by God's Spirit. Everything laid bare in time as God wants them to. We say around here, for some people, take all the time you need to think about and consider what God wants for your life. And at the same time, we say, you probably don't want to take forever because if you had the mind of God, you would choose all that he has for you right now. And in a small group, when you talk about that stuff and you begin to unpack it and you get known together, transformation happens. And specifically, the transformation that happens is this. People become more made into the image of Christ. Believers in Jesus become more like Jesus. And the difference between where they are and where God wants them to be in life in a highly functioning small group, that small group is essential to that development where there is intentional prayer on occasion. It's always kind of wigs people out, you know, who's going to pray and how are we going to... But beyond the intentional prayer, sometimes there's like this spontaneous stuff that happens. You're just talking to a friend in the small group about what's going on in your life and somebody says something like this, I'm going to pray with you about that. And then they really do because they care about you. And they know you and they press in for you on your behalf. Or sometimes what happens is... They literally say, I'm going to pray for you. We're going to do it right now. And they'll put their hand on your shoulder or grab your hand. Now, I, I have a, this pattern in my small group engagement to meet with, with men. And it's very odd, you know, for men to touch and hold hands. So we don't do that. But it's not unusual for us to bow our heads at Panera and quietly just pray for one another, to lift things up. It's powerful in a person's life. When somebody comes alongside you, they begin to change. They begin to move. God's Spirit begins to work in their lives, and they begin to be made more into the image of Christ. When you lead a small group, you help people do that. You can't make them do it. There's always some challenges, and it's an incredible mess. But people begin to change. No, number two, the other thing that happens is when you lead a small group, you help people move from rows, like you're sitting in right now, into circles. And we say around here, circles beat rows. I mean, what we do here is important. Don't get me wrong. I spent a lot of time in my week getting ready for this room. But this room is supposed to be a catalyzing event. Sometimes it fills you up. Sometimes it challenges you. Sometimes, hopefully, it makes you uncomfortable. Sometimes it's the place where you know comfortably you can bring your friends and they're going to hear the message of the gospel with clarity in a way that they can understand it, embrace it, hopefully. But this room is really a jumping off point. It's the beginning. That's why we do it in rows. It's not meant to be an ongoing conversation that we have on a personal level. But in a small group, you turn the rows into circles and you look eye to eye. Not with just one person, but with a handful of people. And you move from, a obser- from an observer to a participant. And that move from observer to participant changes everything. You have the opportunity to stop being simply an audience and become an army. I don't know what would have happened if I would have stood up in front of the church that Jill and I were a part of and said, we're starting a church who would like to go with us. Actually, I kind of do because we did that. And the response was minimal. But when I looked to my small group and said, I don't know what it's going to look like, but Jill and I are going to start this church, they knew us. 
They had a chance to not just watch us do the thing and be proud. They had a chance to engage fully and become a part of the army. That idea of the army is central to what we do. It's, 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 it's as close to a mission statement as we have. Creating a healthy army of Jesus followers that are very excited about helping other people know and grow in Christ. And the small group becomes the place, and if you lead it, you'll see this happen, where the light bulb turns on in people's minds, in their souls, in their spirits. And they, they aren't just passive anymore, but they start moving forward. There's something about being known on a more personal level that actually moves the ball forward. When a person is willing to be vulnerable enough to get known, they begin to grow. There's an honesty that leads to change. So you help people move from here to there, and you help people move from rows to circles. Here's one of the most surprising things to me that happens in our small group leaders all over our church. It's, it's, it's almost a consistent testimony for small group leaders that stay with it long enough. Number three, when you lead a small group, you grow. You grow. The leader grows exponentially as they press in on a personal level with the challenges of leading. It's tough to lead a small group. You know why? People are messy. You might have people like me and Jill show up in your group. We have four kids. Do I need to say anything else? It's a challenge sometimes. And we got all the challenges everybody else has, and so does everybody else in the group. And sometimes people are just stuck in a rut. And sometimes things have happened to their lives they had no real control over. Somebody got sick, and the prognosis isn't good. And leading is just a challenge, and you feel that weight and that burden, and it's healthy. It's a good thing. And somehow, in feeling the weight and the challenges of other people, it causes you to press in spiritually more because you care about them now. They're not just people with needs. They're friends with needs. They're friends with challenges. They're people you love. You don't just know them. And it changes things. And the leader who carries that and helps facilitate that whole engagement, that person grows exponentially. Leading is really hard sometimes, but it causes you to grow. I learned this when I was teaching high school, especially on the front end, when I was having to study hard and make sure my lesson plans were, were done, that the teacher learns more than the student very often. That happens here on this stage regularly and prepping for a message for you. I'm the one that God's working in the most. We're, we're in February going to launch a marriage and relationships and intimacy series. It's been a couple of years since we've dealt with it as directly as we're going to. And, and, and I'm very excited about what God's going to do in this. Because every time we do it, God does dramatic things in people's lives. And at the same time, I'm exhausted by it already because God is going to rake me over the coals. And I, I ask myself, are you worth it regularly? I'll be honest. Jill and I tend, I'm joking a little bit, but not, not really. Jill and I tend to fight more when we do that. What's going on there? It's, it's the teacher being challenged. That's what happens in a small group. It's very difficult to say to people, let's turn our attention in prayer. Let's turn our attention to this passage without you personally taking it seriously first. <laughs> and that often becomes the wellspring that you can then lead out of your own journey. In fact, that's, that's when it happens the best, when the leader is simply honest and says, here's what's going on in my life. Here's what I'm praying about. Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I've seen others struggle with. Here's what I've learned. And they, don't, they don't sit as the expert or the potentate. They sit as the facilitator. My favorite classes in college 
were not the ones where there was a talking head in front and I simply never lifted my head and took notes. I did well in those classes. They were easy. They weren't my favorite. My favorite classes were more what we would call seminar classes where people got together and often we literally put our seats in, in circles and somebody facilitated the movement of the group. It's a fun thing to be a part of. It really helps the people in the group, but it really helps the leader. So you help people move from here to there. You help them get out of, out of rows into circles. The leader himself or herself really can grow. Number four, you plant spiritual seed that will produce a harvest. It really will. As our church has grown, Mun and Jill's original small group has transitioned. We don't get to hang out with those people as often as we used to. Don't, don't know how to make that happen. On occasion, we get together and you, know, you hear about things. Sometimes we'll have a meal together. But one of the things that is the joy of that season of our life, even though in a lot of ways it's past, is the seeds that we planted still produce fruit. And so when I stand here next to Lisa, or I see her husband Don play in our band, very often as I'm sitting there, or as I'm standing here, what's going on in the back of my head is, I remember when we used to meet in my living room, or we'd go to the park together, and we'd all stop and buy you know, food on the way, and the kids would play, and we'd sit there, and sometimes the conversation would just go much deeper than anybody had, had ever thought that it would go. And we really got to know each other. All right, I watched the O'Connors grow their family from, from one kid and a baby, like from one toddler and a baby, to now they got 43 kids. I, th- I think it's like eight, actually, and um, it's, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty dramatic what's happened in their lives, and they're doing what they need to do for their families. And I watched Doug and Erica, who, whose families have grown, and Doug serves in hospitality, and I watched them press in as a couple and as, as parents, and the seeds that were sown, without me knowing what God would do with it, just I got to be a part of it. Jill and I got to be a part of it. It changed everything, and it brought to mind a passage that I want to share with you, and it doesn't just relate to small groups here. It's a passage for every person that's ever carried the mantle of responsibility in ministry, for every person who leads a small group in kids or holds a door, and you're wondering, does it work? Let me tell you what the Bible has to say about these kinds of seed-sowing activities. The burden you feel, sometimes it's a mess, right? And, And it feels heavy on occasion, and sometimes you wonder, is it worth it? Psalm 26, verse 5 and 6 is a passage I keep coming back to. Here's what the Bible says, and I think if you've ever felt the weight of ministry, you can relate to this. Those who sow with tears, that's not a good image, sowing with tears. It indicates the weight, the burden. Parents, you kind of know what this is like as well. You sow with tears. Here's what the Bible says. You will reap with songs of joy. There's something about carrying that burden faithfully. That if you persist and you sow those seeds of tears, that you're going to one day reap with joy. Then it says, those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying their harvest with them. The imagery is, you walk into the field and you're burdened by the weight, and you're just, you're planting. And you know some of the seed you plant isn't going to produce, and some will, and you're not sure which will. And even if it does, it, even if it does produce, how much is it going to produce? The Bible says for those of us that carry that burden, here's what's going to happen if you keep sowing. 
you will walk out of that field one day carrying the harvest with you. In other words, it's worth it. And the work you do now, it will produce. Even if you don't know how it always is going to. There's something powerful about the law of seeds. Sowing and reaping. So, you help people get from here to there. You help people move from rows to circles. You grow personally when you step forward to lead. And when you plant seeds, especially if it's the seed of God's word, the seeds of truth, they produce a harvest. Number five, small groups tend to produce big growth. Big growth. It's a small group, but big growth. Jesus cares deeply about the local church. He really does. I love all the other organizations that are doing stuff in the name of God and helping poor people, and they're phenomenal. But when you read Jesus' words, he cared a lot about the local church. There's two specific ways he wants to see the local church grow. He wants to see it grow deeper, and he wants to see it grow wider. Deeper indicates that the people that are already in the church grow roots that are deeper. They grow, as we talked about last week, in their knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They grow in the grace of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They run towards truth. They're not afraid of conflict. They grow deeper because they're confident in who they are in Him. It's a big part of what we do around here. I do it here from the stage. It happens in small groups exponentially when they function well. But not just deeper, wider as well. Our impact in the community goes wider and wider and wider. The impact in a local family, wider and wider. The impact in a single individual's life. As they begin to wrestle with the thing they gravitated towards over here, I'm having a challenge, maybe God can help me. That's where they start. But the impact begins to grow, and now they're asking the implications of what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord, not just in the challenge area of my life, but as a husband, as a mom, as a dad. What, what, is it, what are the implications for Jesus being in my life for me as a man? And the impact grows wider in a person's life, and they grow deeper. And small groups produce big growth in people. They're a big deal. Now, not every small group in the same way. Sometimes small groups are the catalyzing beginning event. They start a conversation in a person's head in a personal way with other people. But it opens the door for that growth very often. Here's another way that leading a small group makes a big difference. You help people connect on a more personal level. Think about it this way. Here's what we've seen. The small groups are often the catalyzing step for disconnected people, for new people to church, and for non-believers. Over the years, Jill and I have seen non-believers engage when they wouldn't walk into a church because they would say to me, you know, the building's going to fall on my head if I ever walk in. I don't know what, what they were trying to communicate fully other than that, you know, somehow God had a vendetta against them or whatever. And I've always kind of laughed at that until a few weeks ago we had a kid in our church who was playing in the other room and he bumped into a wall and when he did, the emergency light fell off the wall and fell on his head. I felt terrible. He was fine, by the way. No stitches. Everything was great. It was all good. You know, no, we didn't get sued. But I knew his parents really well and I said, listen, I don't know if your kid can come back because I've heard jokes about churches falling on people my entire life and it did on your kid. There's something wrong with him. <laughs> to- totally kidding. But there's something about being able to go to a group with a friend who already knows you, and they kind of open the door for you in a more personal way than just our greeters do out there. Small groups catalyze their movement towards God, gives them a safe place to ask questions. It's often the glue that holds people together in tough times. 
We have some incredible small group leaders in our church, and we have some pretty good small group leaders in our church as well. And regularly, the testimonies and the stories I hear, I, I love it when people compliment what I do. Trust me, I enjoy applause as much as anybody else. But what really gets me excited is when somebody's in a different environment, and they're talking, and there's a conversation around what they're learning, and they're pressing in deeply. And I've said it many times over the last year on this stage, and I'm sure I'll say it a lot, but specifically for me, because I'm a man, I have a burden for this, I suppose. I love it when men say, I'm being challenged like never before to press into what it means to be a godly husband, to just be a man against today's cultural normalcy, a man that follows God. You know who I hear those conversations from the most? The men who have made time to be in small groups. I'm not saying it doesn't happen here, it does. But the sustainability factor, when you meet week in, week out with the same people, and you're honest about what's going on in your life to the degree you're comfortable, and then they're praying about it, and then when you come together a week later or two weeks later, and they're talking about it again, and somebody says, how's that going? It moves, exponentially moves the person towards growth. On a more, much more personal level, and when the challenges are there, it literally becomes a support network. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I showed up at the hospital when one of the students in our student ministry was injured. I care deeply for the family, know them well, they're part of my inner core. And so when the kid got hurt, as, as quick as I could get down, I went to the hospital. And you know what I was blown away by when I got there? You know who beat me? That kid's small group leader had beat me to the hospital. I didn't call him and tell him to. He just did it because he loves the kid. And I thought to myself, I want my kids. I want to make sure as a parent that my kids have that kind of connection with somebody else because I'm always going to be at the hospital when they're going to be there, right? That's, just, that's what dads do. But what if another adult who loves Jesus as much as I do would make a beeline for my kids when my kids are in need? Wouldn't that be awesome to have that kind of support around my kids? Wouldn't it be awesome if every adult in our church had that for them? That they took the time and the awkwardness to lower the facade and be vulnerable, as awkward as that is. And for some of you, it's easy. And for some of you, that's incredibly difficult. But when you do it, and people get to know you, and they realize, all right, so you're not perfect, but we like you anyway. And then they're a part of your life. It's pretty dramatic things that happen. And as a small group leader... You can't force any of that, but you can facilitate that. How you communicate, how often you communicate, how you remind people, how you encourage, how you keep the conversations moving forward. You don't let one person control the room, but you keep the con- you, you, you pull on the quiet one and you say, come on, share your thoughts. After the, the, the meeting, you, you pull alongside somebody who was struggling and you say, look, it seems like maybe you want to talk and you didn't. It's just the two of us not. Can we talk? The small group leader pushes that stuff forward prayerfully and humbly and imperfectly, of course, but God does dramatic stuff with that. When I was in college, the thing that kept me centered on Christ, and it wasn't perfect, but it would have been a whole lot worse without this, is that I had a group of guys and we did Bible study together every week. That seems odd, I know, when you watch movies about college life. And clearly I'm an odd bird. I get it. But when I was in college, my most enjoyable experiences in college was sitting around that table with that group of guys, and we were all expert theologians, and we could solve all the world's problems. Beyond being incredibly wise and near genius level, almost perfect guys, 
We were honest with each other and we prayed with each other and we shared some of the dumbest advice with each other, but it was shared in love and somehow God took it all and did dramatic things. And each one of those guys in some way are still impacting their world for Christ. A couple of doctors, a couple of lawyers, a couple of college teachers and a pastor or two. But each of them deeply committed to the cause of Christ. We had no idea that God would do that in our lives and we don't get together often and Sometimes Facebook is the only real connection, but there is this commonality, even though it's been 20 years. I want that for every single person in this room. Now, there's a final way that Jill and I were surprised at, that, that when we stepped out to lead small groups, what we discovered is that our whole family can do ministry together. We, we've done small groups, and I do small groups sometimes when it's just me and, and, and the guys or Jill and the girls. In fact, both of us, are. she's doing a lot more of that right now than I am, and I'm preparing to re-engage on a, on a deeper level than I have over the last year. But the other way that we've done it is this one. As a family, we say, let's host it together. And then she and I come together to make it happen. And I'm telling you, my wife is much more friendly than I am. If you have a problem, I'm going to try to fix you. If you go to Jill with a problem, she's going to listen and pray for you. I'll think about prayer on the back end after I tell you how smart I am. It's just the way I'm kind of wired. I have to resist that, all right? That's just <laughs> but when we do ministry together, it's a pretty powerful one-two punch. And we don't have to then do her schedule and my schedule. We get to come together and do it. And we grow as a couple. I can't tell you the number of times we've had a fight right before small group started. And then we sit there and somebody shares something and I look at her, she looks at me and I realize, I love you. I love you deeply, and I'm, I'm sorry I was such a jerk. God does something as we bow our knees together to serve him. He does something in us together. Not just in us, we've seen it in our kids. They love it when we have people at our house. And we'll say to them, sometimes if there's a few small kids, you guys are going to play in the basement with them, and they don't see that as just babysitting. They kind of believe that's their job for the night. Now, it may have something to do with I often give them money for that, um, which is fine. It's you know, all about where they are in their development, right? But beyond that, they love that. They love getting to know people. They love having people. What we're doing is as a family, we're finding a way to build in ministry and connecting into the rhythms of our life. It's a challenge, but it's worth it. These are the reasons why if you commit to lead a small group and you're imperfect and you don't know how it's going to happen and you wonder if it's worth it, these are the reasons why I think you should prayerfully consider it. Because it's essential to our church. It's essential to the move of God in our city. And I believe small group involvement, and for many of you that means leading, is essential to your personal development. Some of you are frustrated in your small group, and you have a legitimate frustration. But some of that frustration, let me tell you what God wants to do with that. That's him prepping to kick you out of the nest, to launch out on your own. In a small group, the beautiful thing is we never have to discuss how many people came. Because if just one other person shows up, of course it's worth it. Of course you can have that conversation. So here, here's what I want us to do over the next few weeks um, as we continue this Real Love Now series. I talked with you last week about grace. This week I talked with you about groups and specifically how powerful it is to lead. Over the next few weeks I'm going to press into three other G's. I'm not going to tell you what those are, but we're going to deal with them deep, deeply, and they all relate to the core of what we do. 
I just want you to prayerfully consider what we're talking about and ask yourself a simple question. God, is this for me for now? God, is this for me for now? And if it is, step up. Now, what we have is an event next Sunday at 1 o'clock right here. We'll have child care if you have kids, where if you're interested at all and you're not even sure, but you want to know more, you can just show up here at 1 o'clock right here in our building, in the, in the room, and we're going to answer your questions. We're going to do some training for those that have already committed. That, that, that's how we're going to do that. And in fact, let's go ahead and go to Next Steps, and I'll, I'll explain a little bit more. All right? Now, you guys know this, that every, every week around here, Next Step A for us is, is I'm committing my life to Jesus. So if you, have, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, even though I've been talking about those of us that are on the inside, I just want to give you an opportunity right now to commit your life to him. We believe it's the most important decision you'll ever make, and we'll do our best to love you. We'll do our best to accept you, but nobody's going to love you and accept you like Jesus. He knows exactly where you are and exactly what's going on in your life, and he fully, fully, fully takes you just as you are. And around here, we just try to follow the Bible when it says the way you begin a relationship with Jesus is, you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You believe that what Jesus did on the cross and in being resurrected from the grave, that, that makes him the Lord of the universe. And he's the one then that paves the path for you to have a relationship with him. You can't earn it, you receive it by grace. So around here, you simply check next step A. You put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of the service. And we communicate with you. You're not joining our church. You're not signing up to, uh, to give. None of that stuff. We just want to talk to you about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. And in a minute, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you a chance to use my words or use your own to look up to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Wash me clean and become the Lord of my life. Or how about next step B? You want to get baptized? We had a, a whole slew of baptisms this past year, one of our best years ever. It's phenomenal what God has done around here. And baptism is one of those powerful celebratory events around here. If you have questions about it or want to get baptized, check the card, put it in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of the service, and we'll communicate with you, get you signed up if that's what we need to do. Or how about next step C? I wonder if anybody would just join with me. I hope you heard my heart in all of this, that I just want our church to grow deeper and wider. So here's our next step. It's God, I'm going to pray this for every week. God, cause our church to grow deeper and wider. So even if you don't want to lead a group and you don't even be in a group and you don't even sure you like groups and you don't even sure you like this church, but you're a follower of Jesus, would you just pray for us? God, this year, 2014, help Four Corners Church grow deeper and wider on an individual level and a corporate level. Or maybe you could memorize this passage just as a way of solidifying this biblical value in your life. It's the Acts 5.42 passage I read. Day after day in temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Every time I get a big head about what God's doing in this room, I'm reminded that there are at least multiple other environments, two specifically, small groups and serving, where exponential growth is usually happening. And this Bible verse kind of rallies around that value. So our, our next step, B, here's the one I was referring to earlier. What if you just show up for one of the small group jumpstart events? The first one's next Sunday at, at 1 p.m. right here. If you check the box, we'll send you several more dates. You can find one that fits. You're not committing to do anything other than showing up getting your questions asked, hearing more about it and how we do it around here in a way that we rally around leaders to help them, all right? So just lifting the value in groups around here. Now, in a few weeks, I'm going to talk with you about joining a group if you don't want to lead. So hold, hold on for that, and we'll do that when we get together in a couple weeks. Let's pray right now, all right? Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. God, I want to thank you what you've done in my life, how you have regularly brought people into my life that speak words of encouragement, love, truth, 
God, thank you for those people. Thank you for the deep bonds, not only I have with you, but with brothers and sisters who are also connected to you. God, I pray that as I shared our heart for small groups around here, you were doing your work in this congregation, spurring some people to step forward to seriously consider leading a small group around here. God, I can't call them, but you can. And I pray you would give us boldness to respond. But for all of us, Lord, I hope and pray that we would join together and ask you to make our church deeper and wider this year like never before. We pray it in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen. Amen.